We've been stuck as a field for over a decade in the same position. When we talk about the standpoint of where science as a community sees us. Like the scientific community does not, it's still pseudoscience to talk about ghosts. It's ghost hunting is pseudoscience. But the only way we're going to get any closer is to look at other possibilities. Welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with Austin Maynard. Austin is the founder of the Underground Paranormal Network, which is a network of historic buildings around the Midwest that are opened up for ghost hunts and history tours in order to raise money and awareness for preservation. Austin's interest in the paranormal world only grew after having a near-death experience himself. While he defines himself more as a paranormal experimentalist rather than an investigator, Austin has extensive knowledge on the type of paranormal equipment you can see on shows such as Ghost Adventures. You may have even seen Austin himself in shows such as Paranormal Lockdown and Destination Fear, as he recounts some bone-chilling experiences that can't easily be explained. Our conversation has a ton of information surrounding paranormal equipment, the complexities of the universe, and all of the engineering and ingenuity that comes with trying to explain the unexplainable. This was by far my most challenging interview in terms of the dense subject matter, and Austin brought some very interesting content to the discussion. Given the length of our conversation and the complex nature of our topics, I decided it would be best to break our discussion into two parts to make it a bit more digestible. I hope these concepts about the afterlife and the overall inner workings of the universe will leave you as intrigued as I was. With that in mind, just sit back, relax, and get ready for Austin Maynard's journey with the Underground Paranormal Network, Part 1. That's cool, though. I mean, the way that you're uh, living out your journey, man, I mean, it's just, you kind of figure it out along the way, and sometimes that's the best way to do it. No, for sure. Um, yeah, and that's, that's kind of the way I approach a lot of different things, too, is I just kind of roll up my sleeves and just dive into it, because um, that's really the only way you're going to learn, and, I, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way about a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, it's just kind of, I mean, that's how life happens. I mean, you learn lessons along the way and I mean, but the, the cool thing is, is like, you know, when you do the kinds of things that I do or the kinds of things that you do, I mean, you're kind of jumping across a lot of different, um, realms, so to speak. And so, I mean, it helps you kind of really narrow down who you are, or who you might be, mm -hmm. you know, because I mean, of course, you never know if you like something or not if you don't try it or if you don't experience it once or you don't, you know what I mean? So, I mean, because, like, uh, who would have ever thought that, you know, I would have loved to go ghost hunting if uh, we didn't go ghost hunting that one time? I mean, I was terrified before I did it my first time, so. <laughs> no, so true. And, yeah, actually, that, that segues perfectly into um, my first question and everything because I was always curious, so. Where did your interest in the paranormal world first begin? Well, I've been interested in the paranormal my whole life, really. Um, I mean, as a kid, I would always, uh, you know, rent, go check out books from the library or something about, like, aliens, the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, you know, all the, all the uh, cryptid creatures. And 
Um, but the ghosts I never really got into too much until uh, until like I actually had the um, the sudden cardiac arrest lethal arrhythmia that happened in 2009 um, hmm. and uh, I kind of I, I collapsed and um, I was with uh, Taylor Bird actually and oh, wow. uh, her family and uh, they all um, basically got the person across the way uh, across the street from where her mom used to live uh, got them. Got, he was like a retired EMT or something. So he came and resuscitated me. That moment in my life. I mean, when I look back on it a little bit later, it kind of was the reason that I became so interested in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, before that, I mean, I was terrified to even think about death. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. death just kind of slapped me in the face at one point and. So now it's like I, I, I don't really have much of a fear of it anymore. Yeah. Oh, man. No, I, I never knew that backstory, but that's that's super interesting. And, I mean, yeah, obviously mm-hmm. moments like that are really powerful and just kind of shape you and stuff too. Um, I guess not oh, as yeah. monumental as that experience, but um, I, I guess thinking back to my own experiences with things is like – I read this book uh, years ago that got recommended to me called Many Lives, Many Masters. And it was something I never, like, thought much about. But it's very, like, metaphysical and and talked about, like, past lives and everything like that. And it was something I'd never really thought much about before or, you know, gave much thought to it all. But then after reading it, it just really opened my mind. And then it's kind of like what you just said, though. It, like, alleviated my anxiety of, like, death in the afterlife once I kind of, like dug deep into it and started to understand it a little bit more or at least you know read some different stories on it no absolutely i think um once i kind of went through that experience i mean the i mean the questions just kind of became more and more rampant coming into my head um but you know the one thing i realized is that there's so much to this universe that we don't understand Mm -hmm. there's so many things even about our own bodies our own well-being like even the way our brains function you know, a lot of that, we have no idea how it works. I mean, but, you know, there's clearly a, a big focus and a lot of study uh, on chakras, which are, mm-hmm. the, you know, the spiritual alignment of your, you know, um, of your body. And so, you know, if I mean, chakras, if you if your chakras are not aligned, I mean, like it throws you off big time. And like most people don't even think about that. They don't realize it. They don't want to even like consider it. Because mm-hmm. it's metaphysical, it's just a spiritual thing. It's not real, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy. No, no, it's it's so true. I I'm not um, totally familiar with chakras. I've read I think like maybe a book or two on them, but I find the whole concept of them extremely interesting. And I think overall, I identify with that so much. Just like the overall power of energy and stuff too, and how like everything is is energy, and how we can manifest our own. You know, like our, our very thoughts and ideas and words can manifest into some physical things every now and then. And it's it's I find all of that so interesting and so wild. Oh, yeah. There's a um, there's a big study on uh, it's something called radionics, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, radionics is all the study of intentional energy. And uh, they actually use these. Um, I don't know what they would call them. They call them radionics machines, wishing machines. um there's a number of things they call them, but basically it's got copper plates and some dials and it's all about using, focusing your intentional energy to make a, uh, a manifestation possible in the physical world. 
So, like, mm-hmm. they've done studies with these things, which is really crazy because you can actually look this up. Um, but they've actually done studies with uh, radionics um, on beetles. I think um, – I can't remember what kind of beetles they used specifically – but I know, like, uh, they used uh, for they did a number of tests, and one of the tests was like to try to uh, they were able to like decrease the violence uh, amongst males uh, in a group of beetles that were known to be very uh, aggressive towards each other. In the male, you know, the males would be very aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they were also they so they were able to actually show decrease in those numbers while using this radionics machine. Um, but they also showed an increase in the fertility rate of these beetles as well. Hmm. Um, so, like, I think, I don't know if th- there's, you'd have to, like, really look at the specifics of the study. But, like, there is enough evidence to show that that is possible. Like, the being able to manifest your intentional energy to make something happen. Right. No, for sure. Like, I, like when you say that, I just think about the whole idea of Slender Man and stuff like that, how it was just like oh, this yes. whole made up <laughs> thing, you know what I mean? Or supposedly like this made up stories, but now they're saying that it's almost like manifesting into an actual real thing because of all the talk and stuff about it. Yeah, that's, um, it's a, I can't remember what the, what it's actually called. Um, it's called, mm-hmm. uh, like it's a mass mass belief system like if enough people believe in it it becomes real and mm-hmm. yeah it's it, that's exactly what happened with slender man but i think that there's so many other things that that could tie into as well mm-hmm. you know um i mean mass hysteria happens in a number of forms i guess sometimes it's manic and you know hysteria and chaos in the real world other times it's subtle and you won't notice it but like Stuff like Slender Man specifically, like those two girls that went and killed her, their friend, or oh no, they tried to kill her friend. Right? It was yeah, it was something like that. Or but she like survived. Yeah, I think I think there were I think it, there may be some actual like documented murders and stuff that were you know attributed to Slender Man in some sort of way of just they they were influenced by him or something like that or you know what I mean. After digging into this further, I found a few cases where individuals who committed horrific acts such as rape or murder were heavily obsessed with Slender Man, but it's hard to say that their obsession directly influenced their actions. References to a few of those cases and a detailed explanation of the attempted murder of Peyton Leitner that Austin's referring to can be found in the show notes. Yeah, I know that there were those two those two like 12 year old girls out of Wisconsin that like stabbed their, they took that, took their friend that was a girl and like out to the woods and stabbed her so many times. And then when they got caught, they said slender man told them to do it. Mm-hmm. And like in that moment, in that act of violence, slender man becomes real. Yeah, exactly. And that's like the crazy thing. And you don't, it, a lot of people don't even realize it because of he, because he is the reason he is, he does exist. I mean, the same thing that happens with like poltergeist activity, you know, like uh, a poltergeist by definition is, is technically an angry spirit, but like really what it is, is just like physical movement of objects. Um, and it's not really technically like a human spirit. It doesn't have like an intelligence behind it. It's just a, a manifestation of aggression, of emotions, of just pent up energy. A lot of times, uh, Teenagers that are going through puberty will experience it because they're just going through a lot of changes in their life and it's really stressful and like that can manifest it. No, that no, that stuff's super interesting to me too. And like 
I could be completely wrong with this and, you know, definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I feel like there have been different theories too in regards to like shadow people and how it, it could actually be like, they could actually be not necessarily a person at all, but more much just a manifestation. Yeah, there's, um, I mean, no, you're right. There's a number of uh, like different kinds of theories about what shadow people are. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the most generally accepted theory is that uh, shadow people are not human spirits, but they're from, they're just from the other realm. And mm-hmm. they're, um, they're, some people say that they're, they have, uh, they're, like they're malevolent. Some people say they're benevolent. Um, it just, uh, I mean, I think it's all subjective and based on who you ask really. Yeah, no, so true. And, um, no, I was just going to say it's it's really funny you brought up radionics too because I had that jotted down in my notes because I was listening to an episode of I believe it was uh, Dead Zone Paranormal Radio where you did an interview there. Yes. And you uh talking about radionics and then also mentioned a paranormal helmet and that whole concept just really intrigued me too. So can you explain I guess that whole piece of equipment? Oh, the the helmet? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> Uh, I have a, a version of it that uh, KD Stafford built. Uh, KD Stafford, they call him the mad, the paranormal mad scientist. He's on that. Tra- he was on that Travel Channel show, uh, Ghost of Morgan City, mm-hmm. um, uh, for he did like four episodes, I think. But he's about to be a more featured cast member in season two. Um, but he, uh, he, I mean, he's real big with like experimentation. So he was researching up a concept called the God helmet or the Kraken helmet, which was named after Dr. Kraken back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically the whole idea was, uh, this helmet would, um, there would be various, uh, nodes inside of this helmet that would, uh, uh give off electromagnetic pulses, uh, that were supposed to stimulate certain areas of your brain that they considered to be these quote-unquote God spots. And the God spots were, they said, would create like an artificial spiritual experience. Like basically, um, like when people wore the original God helmet, they would have a blindfold on and uh, they'd be wearing the helmet as well. Sensory deprivation already. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, they would claim to... Some people, I mean, they had vastly different experiences. Like some people said they saw Jesus and they talked to Jesus. Uh, some people claimed that they actually spoke with the devil himself, you know. And um, so, I mean, it, it, but like these experiences were so like vivid for these people, um, albeit artificial, but they were so vivid, like to the point of like they couldn't tell which was reality and what was not, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so the cool, what KD did was basically he tried to create a safer version of it, um, by instead of using electromagnetic pulses, um, he's actually, uh, just using magnetic pulses. So basically it's almost a vibrational, uh, frequency rather than a, um, an electrical frequency running into your brain it's uh le- it's not like putting off um like emf if you were to hold your cell phone up to your ear for 30 minutes mm-hmm. like that would be more dangerous to your brain or more harmful to your brain than wearing kd's version of the helmet however the way that the helmet works is basically it's got these four coils on each side and these coils give off and uh they give off a magnetic pulse 
Mm-hmm. Basically, it creates, uh, it just pulses. It's kind of like if you were to take magnets of opposing uh, polars, polarities mm-hmm. and like push them up against each other. You know, like how you got that opposite force, but you kind of just bounce them back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, like that's kind of what it's doing to your brain. Okay. Like your brain is one magnet and this thing is another. So it's it's not it's really more or less putting some a, a kind of a vibrational energy onto your brain and supposed to be stimulating these god spots wherever they may be theoretical but um, the whole idea is supposed to put you in sort of a meditative state um, and the way I think I, I I can explain it the best is that if it opens you up to a lot more. Uh, frequencies than you normally would be able to be receptive to. Mm-hmm. Now, I say frequencies because everything in this universe, every living and non-living thing in the entire universe has a vibrational frequency mm-hmm. of some sort or whatever, you know, or, well, yeah. So um, if the, I think a matter of it is more or less uh, being able to tap into the frequencies that we can't normally see. Right. Um, and like uh, you think about, uh, they've uh, really actually started looking into this concept of dark matter. Like, you mm-hmm. know, dark matter is supposed to be filling the void of everything that we can't see. The space in between everything is filled with dark matter, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but what level of frequency is that on, you know? But if you were to take this helmet and you put it on, imagine the range of frequencies of your brain is like your FM car radio. Right, you mm-hmm. got the whole band, and that's your range. Now imagine putting on the helmet, and it widens up like twice the size, mm-hmm. and so you're able to pick up a lot on a lot more. Like you can see and hear and feel things that you normally wouldn't, because this thing is stimulating your brain in a way to. I don't know. It's it's so hard to like explain, and the concept is so deep when you get into it. Mm-hmm. But like the whole, I mean, really, when I when you wear this thing, man, it doesn't uh, make you feel off. It doesn't make you hallucinate or see anything or hear anything weird. It's not like that. Like you're gonna be totally normal. You're gonna feel normal. You'll see, you'll see things as they are. It's just fine. Mm-hmm. But. That's why I say it gets weird is because it actually it's it doesn't seem like that's the case though when you are have it on like you can see things more and you hear things more that you don't that you normally wouldn't mm-hmm. like we had people that put this thing on and experience uh, like I've had somebody that put it on at the middle point school, which is one of the locations we handle and um he he swears that he was seeing a woman walking back and forth in a room across the way from him, and like it was like apparently the vivid the experience was so vivid and realistic to him, like he was like I don't know, and I think it opens you up to just the atmosphere around you because you're supposed to wear it while you meditate. Okay, and so it's I don't know, man. It's really 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 hard to explain. Unless you've, like, worn it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's an amazing concept, though. It really is. And he actually put it... He made it out of a, an old uh, Optimus Prime cosplay helmet. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> oh, no, man. I love it. No, that's so cool. Uh, and, and yeah, uh, listening to these different podcasts and reading some stuff about you, I, you know, obviously get the vibe. You're a big equipment guy and stuff, too. Like, I see that oh, yes. you... 
promote paranormal investigating equipment all the time on your underground paranormal network page, uh, like many ink boxes. So what are some of your favorite pieces of equipment to use overall? That's hard. That's hard to say because like I really started, like I used to be able to say, you know, oh, it's the recorder, oh, it's this or oh, it's that. But the thing is, is like the more I dive into ITC, which is instrumental transcommunication, mm-hmm. like the deeper I dive into this, which is, you know, it's all the ghost boxes, all the, the scanning, uh, all the f- radio frequencies being scanned and the radio, the RF uh, spectrum goes all the way from AM all the way up shortwave all the way through microwave, which is crazy. Wow. Like you can actually sweep the microwaves if you can find a way to get these uh, speakers to uh, receive those frequencies and amplify them in a way that we can hear them. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is there's so there's such a broad range and we're only like hitting a little part of it. But I, I, it's hard to say if, if there's so many different things, like so many different concepts and ideas and possibilities with all these things. I love ghost boxes. I love the sweeping radios. Um, I, I, I got to have something. The more complex, the better. In my <laughs> because I, I love fine-tuning. I love um, things that, you know, are not outside of – that are, like, outside of what you would no- normally see on TV because the things that you see on TV are – made for tv so to speak right um but the tv stuff you see is entertainment it's all entertainment and that's what it is the devices i have helped get onto those tv shows but like they're only the simplest basic bare bones easiest things to use that you can find mm-hmm. um and so when i mean with uh i mean i don't know this mini ink box though i just got these uh things i mean the builder is one of my best friends so like he, you know, he'll uh, get these out to me before everybody else, just to literally uh, promote it, use it, test it, make sure that like, you know, it's working out in the field the way that it's supposed to be working out in the field. Um, and obviously, yeah, I got I've kind of uh, dug myself into a hole with uh, having to come up with something new and bigger and better every single time I post something (laughs) like it's, 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 I mean, it's amazing. It's so awesome to be able to work with all these different devices and all these different builders, but, um, to like actually pick a specific one out, man. I mean, I love the DR 60 voice recorder that I have. Um, it was this, uh, discontinued Panasonic, uh, recorder, uh, back in like the 1990s like late nineties that they had a few models out. They had them out for like a year and they cost like 30 bucks back in the day, but mm-hmm. they always had a, um, they always had a flaw in the circuitry. Uh, actually it was uh, specifically it's in the word clock, um, or the IC chip. And, um, it, the word clock timing was off from what it was actually picking up the sample rate at. So it was just kind of, uh, like it was all jumbled and it would create these static bursts that people say, um, they can hear voices in mm-hmm. and a lot of people uh, like you know they would uh, send these products back and the Panasonic obviously recalled them and just can't like stop making them all together and updated the later circuitry but you can't find these things anymore uh, for less than like two or three grand on eBay oh wow um, like these things are so hard to find and uh, I mean a lot of people don't believe in them a lot of people do believe in them it's uh, I mean but it's one of my go-to's um, mm-hmm. 
but I have a number of different uh, ghost boxes that I use uh, that I bring with me everywhere. Nice. Because, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff, man. No, you, you definitely fool around with a lot of different equipment, so that's totally understandable. And um, just to make sure I'm understanding things correctly, because I know you, you call it a ghost box a lot. Is that synonymous with a spirit box? Because I know I, I watch a lot of paranormal shows, and they often refer to it as a spirit box. So I just want to make sure it's one and the same or similar. Um, a spirit box, I, I, I think of them as different, because a spirit box in my mind is something like a the SB7 or the SB11, these mass-produced products that are just a, a specific radio chip. It just sweeps one way. It's linear. Mm-hmm. It's forward or backwards. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's almost like a hack. Okay. Like you can clip the mute wire inside some of those old Radio Shack radios, um, and it would just continue to sweep without stopping because you clipped the mute wire so it wouldn't like pick up anything to stop it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and that's like kind of what a, I would consider to be a spirit box. A ghost box is more custom built. It has more fine tuning and it's actually like something you have to kind of dial in. It's not as simple as just flipping it on and, oh, here we go. You right. Know, not, they call it the plug and play, which is what I would consider a spirit box. It's a plug and play type of device. No, that makes a lot of sense, though, because I know that's like a go-to piece of equipment in a lot of paranormal investigating shows. Um, but mm-hmm. to your point, like what you were saying before, I'm sure they got to really simplify things for television and stuff like that, too. It sounds like ghost box are much more customizable. Yeah, it's. Um, I think the ghost box just – ghost box is more custom, yeah. It's, it really is. It's these custom builders who are really um, using – a, a, a unique way to sweep the radio frequencies mm-hmm. and um there's very few actual ghost boxes that you'll see on tv uh i know ghost adventures has the direct link built by jay prather idc devices um as well as uh, haunted towns the twc guys the tennessee wraith chaser guys uh they mm-hmm. used it on their show haunted towns um, as well, and that one is actually a random scan uh, ghost box that is about as plug as plug and play as you can get. Um, mm-hmm. Really, it's you ter- the you can control the sweep speed on it, but basically, it's just randomly jumping around the FM spectrum. So, like instead of it, but the thing is, <laughs> you know, you when you look at these uh, simple mass-produced spirit boxes, they go. On the FM spectrum, they'll just do uh, the, like the 87.5, 87.7, 87.9, and they'll do the odd numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but with the with the custom built ghost boxes, especially like ones like Jay's Direct Link, um, that is a uh, like it, it. He actually adds ten steps in between each uh, uh, frequent each uh, megahertz. So, like, basically, it's 87.5, 87.51, 87.52, 87.53, and he's, like, actually jumping all across the band. So, it could actually go from, like, 87.5 to 97.365 or whatever, you know? It's, like, just going all over the place randomly. Mm-hmm. And those, but that one is about as, like, it's literally turn it on and it's automatically doing that you just turn up the volume and there you go um 
Nice. But it's still technically a ghost box because it's it's a sweeping uh, radio chip, um, and it's uh, and it's custom built and it's uh, random rather than just forward or backwards. Yeah. No. That. Okay. Cool. No, that makes a lot of sense because that was something I was kind of curious about when I was digging up questions and everything too. And um, (laughs) what I found interesting is, uh, yeah, just looking uh, at your, like, Facebook page and stuff, too, I see that you define yourself more as a paranormal experimentalist rather than a paranormal investigator. So I guess can you briefly describe the difference between the two and why you categorize yourself more as an experimentalist? Well, um, an investigator, in my mind, is what you typically see on TV or what you see with the thousands of uh, teams out there in the United States or, you know, all across the world, really. Um, These people will research history. They'll research, um, you know, they'll they'll research the property, the land, the history, everything for each potential, for, for each case that they do. And they're actually investigating, like, why is this happening? What is this? You know, that's an investigator. Mm-hmm. Me, I I don't really... The evidence in my... At this point in my career, I guess, is obsolete. Because I've realized that there's only so much... Or so far that a video or a piece of audio or this or that can take us as a field. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided I wanted to kind of step outside of that and just kind of experiment around with new ideas, new concepts, new techniques. Like, um, you know, there's uh, interesting things that I find out about equipment that people wouldn't normally think about. Uh, for instance, the uh, REM pod, which is a common uh, paranormal uh, device that people use. It gives off a uh, electromagnetic field. Um, and it's stationary, and basically if something breaks the field, then it'll alarm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I realized, well, if these things have antennas, and I have more than one, what if I took some bare copper wire, wrapped it around one, and ran it to the other antenna, and wrap it around the other antenna, turned them both on, and now I have like a whole, like the entire copper wire has now become an antenna. Mm-hmm. As well as the two REM pods over there, so I've just like basically drastically increased my field of detection here, uh, and like that's why I kind of consider myself an experimentalist is because I actually play around with those kinds of ideas. I play around with uh, optical theremins. You know, uh, people don't most people don't even know what a theremin is. You know, <laughs> I mean it's the for reference anybody listening it's one of those uh things on uh, the twilight zone the opening intro uh, the spooky music i can't remember i don't remember uh, <laughs> you know what i'm talking about i though, can right? i can hear it in my head yeah the yes yeah exactly yep 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 so i mean like that's a that's a theremin and so you know imagine having one that changes with light is what I thought of, hmm. you know, because a theremin typically is proximity. Well, you know, they they have these optical theremin kits that you can easily buy anywhere. I mean, simple Arduino uh, coding and assembly will work, and you can do it with that. But the thing I realized about an optical theremin is that it gives off different tones based on the uh, intensity of the light, the 
you know, whether it's a lighter, it's like uh, the color, for instance, the color mm-hmm. on the the light spectrum, the wavelength determines the tone that it's given off. Mm-hmm. But then I also realized, so like, you know, a red color would be a deeper tone and a yellow color would be a really light, high pitch tone. Mm-hmm. So what I realized is that, you know, if I pointed my IR light at the optical theremin it gave off a really high pitch tone and when i look at the when you look at the visible light spectrum ir is on the higher end of it right uv is on the lower end well i mean it's opposite with light but you know what I mean. yeah um but uh but uh the wavelengths are shorter i think right no the wavelengths are longer with ir yeah, I'm like thinking back to like seventh and eighth grade science classes and stuff like that, and it's all coming back. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but yeah, but basically the wavelength determines the 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 pitch of the tone that's given off. So the cool thing was is that we were actually in a pitch black. I had it set up in a pitch black hallway, and it gives off the it channels through a number of LED. Uh, a number of colors in an LED light. Mm-hmm. It just kind of transitions through them, right? Um, and so what I realized is, uh, well, we, while we were investigating, we actually heard a change in the tone. Like, and not like a smooth transition. Like, it had... Because the tip, the normal transition of the tone would be like up and down like a siren, kind of. Okay. Uh, almost like a storm siren. But when you hear a fluctuation in that tone, it's like, and there's and there's nobody around. Not, and we're in a musky, dark basement. Like, this thing is sitting high up off the floor on a chair. Like, real, you know, like, I made sure that nothing was getting around this thing. And then somehow, it's almost as if something put its hand and covered the light for, like, half a second. Hmm. And so, like, you could hear a crazy huge tone, like, the, the pitch changed. And so, like, that kind of stuff opens up so many more ideas and so many more possibilities. And that's how my, kind of like my thought process works. Yeah. Is like, oh, if I can do this, what else can I do with it? (laughs) No, that's so awesome, though. I guess that's why I consider myself an experimentalist rather than an investor. I focus more on that kind of stuff and new forms of communication, new forms of interaction. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's super interesting that you brought up too. So you're almost looking for fluctuations or changes in the the tone and in the environment rather than just actually listening for a voice necessarily. It's just kind of another form of communication. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there's uh, there's a number of different things that people use. I mean, like the REM pods, for instance, is another form of communication. Like you can actually have them reply with a yes or no by touching it for yes, you know, letting go of it for no kind of thing. But, Mm -hmm. like, I think that there's so many other possible aspects, like I said, of the universe that we really don't normally look at. Like, Mm -hmm. I cannot, like, I'm not going to lie, man. I'm so sold on the idea that dark matter is literally just, like, the entire ethereal realm. Oh, yeah. And we just, we would have no idea. Like, because they, who knows? Like, what if dark matter is, like, our physical matter, but... They have dark matter. Yeah. They use it the same way, dark energy. I mean. Oh, for sure. 
like I find all that stuff super interesting too. I've I've read like several Neil deGrasse Tyson books and like yeah, I just oh, yeah. love astrophysics and stuff overall. And I I actually have an, a book about dark matter. And I don't know. I feel like a lot of this stuff tends to fly over my head most of the time, but I still find it really interesting. Just the idea that like the only reason we know that dark matter exists is is just because based off the mathematics, I guess, like it's based off the way that like the light responds to it like we know theoretically it exists yeah yeah and i think uh, i mean they started they came up with it based on black holes Mm -hmm. um like it's just complete and total black like just there's nothing like they figured like anything it just turns normal matter into dark matter is basically what a black hole does is what they think it does at least Mm -hmm. Um, but I know that they, they noticed it based on, like you said, the way that light reacted to it, because it, I, I think that one of the, one thing that they detected was like the change in, it was like a bend in the light, like deep in space and like in a vacuum, like light is not supposed to bend. Mm -hmm. And how is it like bending and being, uh, refracted unless there's something refracting it? Mm-hmm. kind of deal yeah and like that's but i know that there's so many other things that like they've you that they're using as evidence of dark matter but you know when mm-hmm. you think about dark matter you know they also have dark energy right and dark energy i mean what is dark energy i mean is this what they might be using mm-hmm. like i don't know that's just why it's so fascinating to me because in the cosmos tell us so much about our own world it's like people don't tie a lot of people don't tie them together, but everything it all ties together in some way, shape, or form. Oh, for sure. No, that's like my bread and butter right there. I mean, just like anything that has to do with the cosmos or anything paranormal. So, um, yeah, and and you explained the uh, concept of dark matter much better than I did. But yeah, that was basically what I was <laughs> getting at with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's it is though. It's so fascinating, man. Yeah, no, it's so good. Do you, what, do you believe in string theory? Yeah, I uh, I don't know a ton about it, though, if you want to explain it, I guess, briefly and everything, too. <laughs> well, string theory is basically the whole idea that um, if you were to play the, the specific vibrational frequencies of the universe, it, it's almost like plucking a string instrument. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's the ohm sound, you know, the ohm, you know, that sound that people use in mantras and... Uh, meditation and all this stuff like it's all about the vibrational frequency if you were to pluck the strings of the universe what would it be Mm -hmm. it's almost like music it's all music it's all tones it's all it's all a form of of, uh, vibrational energy yeah which is basically what the whole idea is it's almost like a stringed instrument is kind of the way i i remember it by okay no, that's that's super interesting though, and it really makes you think. <laughs> well, really though, because like they say that if you, they really do. They say that if you play the vibration, if you were to actually play the um, the tone of the universe, of the earth, of everything, it gives off the ohm sound. Hmm. And they say that that is one of the frequencies. Um, uh, that is actually like healing it has healing properties and there's a number of other ones too they call the the uh the solvigio frequencies are uh one of the bigger more well-known healing frequencies it's actually like a frequency if you get a frequency generator and you actually like 
audibly play it, like you or you actually pump these frequencies out into the air, it gives off these healing properties. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of them are for like anxiety, depression. Uh, I mean, there's so many different ones. They even have one uh, they call the the God frequency. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what frequency it's at, what megahertz it's at, or kilohertz. I can't remember. Hmm. But it's along the radio. It's along the RF frequency spectrum. It's crazy. Wow. No, that's that's crazy. It makes me think too because I remember you mentioned briefly before about sensory deprivation. It made me think of like flotation tanks and stuff like that, like kind of like a form of meditation. Mm-hmm. And um, I think yeah. what some people do is they go into those with I think it's called like binaural beats, and it's like these little tapping noises in your ears that kind of cause like a more soothing effect. And it just kind of made me think of that with the vibrations. Yeah. No, absolutely, and and actually, the um, there's a, another one called uh, the Neuroband, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but yeah, there's a number of those uh, that actually help you with that with meditation. And um, binaural beats is kind of it's kind of similar to like what the guy the ghost helmet that KD produces is. Okay, it's similar in a way, just like not um, using the same process, I guess. Okay. No, that's super interesting. And I wanted to change gears for a second, too, to talk uh, more about Underground Paranormal Network specifically, which you're the founder and owner of and everything. And I I love the concept of it, by the way. But um, I know basically with that, it's a network of historic buildings and properties that you open for ghost hunts and history tours in order to raise money and awareness for preservation. Yeah. Among other things. Yeah, no, I, I, I love the concept and stuff of that, too. How many properties do you have with your network right now? Uh, six at the moment. Six, all right. Uh, we have uh, five in Ohio and one in down in uh, Detroit, actually. Nice. Yeah, it's um. I mean, the, the these properties, man. They're basically like the owner is a. It's like a single person that bought it to save it from the wrecking ball, but don't nearly have anywhere like they don't have nearly enough money to like pay for the restoration or the renovations and. You know, they could go the grant route, but there's so many hoops you got to go through and so many things you got to follow, guidelines specifically, mm-hmm. that kind of uh, make it more of a hassle than it's worth. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, a, a lot of these guys were just using these places for storage or whatever until they could figure out a way to do what they wanted to do with it. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's kind of like where I came along. You know, I started looking up a lot of the uh, the history around the area uh, in uh, Bryan, Ohio, which is up here in northwest Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually 20 minutes from both the Indiana border and the Michigan border, which is crazy. Oh, nice. But, um, <laughs> so, yeah, and my dad was always really big into the history of this area, actually, because he grew up in this area. So... Uh, it really kind of motiv- inspired me in a way to look at these old buildings. Like I, see, I appreciate the architecture. I see. I appreciate the uh, just the feel you get when you walk through these places, and you can almost like put yourself back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, it's almost a surreal feeling to like walk through the halls of these places. And so I realized that there's a you know there's a lot of people. There's a lot of interest in the paranormal, mm-hmm. and a lot of these places. I mean. They are abandoned, and they have a lot of history, and sometimes a lot of the history needs to be uncovered, but, you know, the crazy thing, I've been doing the U- the UGPN since uh, 2018, mm-hmm. 
and uh, I've I'm still finding out information like new information about some of these locations that I've had since the start. Yeah, no, that's so cool. And um, I mean, it's amazing, man. And the best thing is, is like I use these, uh, like I'll use uh, television celebrities or like paranormal celebrities to uh, kind of turn heads in the direction of these locations which draws a lot of attention Mm -hmm. uh in and of itself but then you know that's why i also try to take advantage i mean i'll take advantage of the celebrities there as much as i possibly can (laughs) and cool thing is they know that i do that for they know that i use them yeah that's okay we have an agreement it's all good you know (laughs) well i pay them to be there so that's kind of where that is but (laughs) um but you know like they they do they draw a lot of attention um, you know, and uh, that allows me to kind of put some people in the same spotlight. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where a lot of these builders uh, come into play, too, because, you know, when I first met a KD, uh, when I first met Jay, when I first met all the other, all the sponsors that we have now, really, mm-hmm. um, well, I guess not all of them, but, uh, you know, KD and Jay specifically, uh, you know, are two very successful builders now. They both have been on, uh, had their stuff on national TV and, uh, are two, really the two only, like there's two, there's very few remaining builders in the field that are actually like continuously building innovative things. Mm-hmm. And those two guys, I kind of helped get them to where they are. And when I first met them, like these guys, nobody knew who any of them were, mm-hmm. you know, but me helping to put them in front of people. You know, if I got a crowd of a hundred, and all all hundred of those people are watching him do his stuff, like show showcase his equipment, showcase why he built to build it that way, and what the whole concept is. I mean, it's fascinating to people, mm-hmm. and that's an opportunity that he would have never had otherwise. Yeah, you know, and just by ha- being in the same room as those celebrities, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's just so crazy how simple it is. But it's worked very well with both, uh, you know, helping to advertise the builders, advertise like innovative researchers or people that are really like dedicated to advancement or, uh, you know, pushing the field forward in some way that's not just like another documentary Mm -hmm. or another form of the same crap that you see on TV. I mean, it's, it's, we've been stuck as a field for over a decade in the same position when we talk about the standpoint of where science as a community sees us like the scientific community does not it's still pseudoscience to talk about ghosts it's Mm -hmm. ghost hunting is pseudoscience but the only way we're going to get any closer is to look at other possibilities and look at different locations and different things and so like it all benefits from the way i had this platform Mm -hmm. which is the underground paranormal network Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. Links to all of Austin's pages can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, 
Send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner, and music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing, mixing, and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.